You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Duncan McPherson. Duncan is an author, consultant, keynote speaker, and he is the CEO of Pareto Systems. Duncan, welcome to the show. Hey, Chip. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We discussed before we started that I've been a bit of a fanboy for going on 20 years and saw you speak back in the late 90s, early 2000s, ordered what back then was the big red crate. And so I've been following you, Duncan, for a long time, participated in your coaching program years ago, and so have been a big fan of Pareto, the platform, and Duncan McPherson for, again, two decades. But for folks who may not be familiar with your story, tell us a little bit about you and how you got here. Yeah, excellent. And I appreciate the fact that, you know, your pedigree and your background, you're probably ahead of your time in that you liked practice management and the concept of running a business like a business. You know, it's funny. My wife has a model for me. She says, I'm always right eventually, right? So being ahead of your time just means the world's got to catch up a little bit, but here we are. And I think, you know, the things that you talk about and focus on and that we focus on, they've never been more relevant than right now. Anyway, appreciate that. And as far as, you know, when we met in late 90s, I got into this business, it was about the mid-90s, accidentally. I was working with some friends who were in the financial services business. And I became fascinated by just the entire sector and started taking it seriously. And I, I won't forget because in a very compressed window of time, I read three books just to help expand my thinking around how I could be relevant to a financial professional. The first book was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And in that book, he talked about the difference between working in your business, transacting, and working on your business, and building something. And he also mentioned, and I'm probably kind of paraphrasing, but something to the effect of every business is built to be sold. So that got me thinking about how to develop enterprise value in this sector. The second book I read right around the same time was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is a classic, of course. And in that book, he said, thoughts are things. You are what you think about. Now, of course, he was talking about the self-fulfilling, you know, positive attitude, be the fountain, not the drain, all of that. But I heard something different because I always thought of a financial advisor or a fee-for-service professional as someone who thinks for a living. And if we could take what they think about and turn it into a thing, turn it into an intellectual property, that could help them achieve professional contrast. And then the third book, again in this compressed window of time, was by Harry Beckwith. It was called Selling the Invisible. And it was everything around the service economy and how you can represent what you're producing, even though 
you're in the knowledge for profit business. But then it occurred to me that what a financial professional provides is actually bought, not sold. So instead of using salesmanship to engage a client, use stewardship. So those three books were the proverbial game changers for me and helped me develop a philosophy and then a process that could enable an advisor to go up market, achieve professional contrast, and create advocacy. So that's the origins. And then it just took off from there. And then here we are in 2020, and we work with some of the best teams in the industry. Well, one of the things that I've appreciated, and I was trying to think as I was preparing how best to say this, is for 20 years, your message hasn't really changed. When I look and watch your, you know, I'm a big podcast listener, obviously, and I listen to your new stuff. It's the principles are grounded in the exact same thing that you were talking about in the late 90s. And it's not as if some of the verbiage hasn't been updated, but the core of it, I think, has remained the same and it's remained relevant over the entirety of that period of time. You know, the implementation of it, I think, maybe has has changed a little bit. And even that, kind of like clothing styles, I think Lumpy Mail may be making a comeback at some point. I had never thought of buying a fridge magnet until the original set of things. But talking about principles, you know, most of us equate the Pareto principle with the 80-20 rule. And I know that it has, obviously, I mean, you named your company after it. It has particular meaning to you. How do you find that? And I think that some of it is not the traditional kind of line of thinking. What does it mean to you? How did you come about that? And, and how does it play out in your mind in the advisory world? Yeah, great observation. And you're absolutely correct in that some of the messaging and the positioning has evolved, but the core chassis remains the same. And part of that is because of stage of readiness. It's amazing how many people I meet who I crossed paths with 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they weren't ready to take action and implement. But we just sort of developed this virtual relationship, and then the alignment of interest kicked in, and and now they work with us. So you're absolutely correct there. As far as the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, it's got so many layers. One of them, and it's probably my favorite, Jim Rohn, one of the most timeless personal and professional development philosophers ever, he said, that time is more valuable than money. And as I apply that to 80-20, I remind our clients that 80% of their productivity stems from about 20% of their activity. They have most of their impact in about an hour a day. And I want them to have mastery for what goes into that hour. And that means two things how they are expending their time and staying in that lane and letting that compound, and then to whom they are allocating their time. So if you think of 80-20 on the client side, if 80% of the business comes from 20% of the client, that's an addressable audience. And I would call that client someone who deserves you. The 80% who generate 20% of the business need you. And the key is 
not to spend time with people who need you at the expense of the people who deserve you. Not being disrespectful or elitist in any way, it's just in your enlightened self-interest in those 24 hours, you're trying to competitor-proof, maximize, and replicate the ideal client. So how you allocate your time, where you're allocating your time, that's a core element that comes out of the Pareto principle from our perspective. So looking at it from a time perspective, and I think it may have been you that used the example of how much back then Tiger Woods, how much time he actually spent hitting the golf ball relative to a round of golf. And that was something that stuck with me. And I'm thinking, as you're saying that, if the average advisor, let's say, really works an hour a day at their core specialty, and if 80% of the revenues by 20% of the clients, but it's also by that small sliver of time, it seems to me that by expanding from one hour to two even of the right kinds of things would give massive upward momentum without talking about working 16, 18-hour days. Am I right? It's a great point, actually. And you're right. I mean, the diminishing returns that come from the 12-hour days, again, Jim Rohn said, don't major in minor things. You know, you go to a dental office, you see the dentist for five or 10 minutes, and you don't feel offended. You just understand. Everyone knows their role and responsibility. It's all part of the client experience. But that dentist stays in his or her lane. They don't micromanage. They do what they get paid to do. You can't make $400 an hour if you're doing $40 an hour activity. Okay, so there's a discipline that comes with that. But from a growth perspective, yeah, if you'll, if you'll replicate and incrementally let that grow, yeah, of course, you will maximize your output. Now, the other thing, and this little bizarre episode that we've been in the last couple of months really hits this home, is what exactly are you working on? when it comes to the enterprise. So our view is that there's three core components to the business. There's your wealth management process, there's your practice management process, and then your relationship management process. Most of the advisors we work with, they don't need to work any harder on their wealth management process. In fact, for many of our clients, they're getting out of the wealth management business. They're getting out of the Households and holdings, transactional, stock picking, and you talk about the 12 hours a day. I mean, we've seen teams that had one dedicated person to doing that. I mean, that person got very little sleep, was stressed out. And by the way, I learned this from Chris Jepson, the co-author of the Advisor Playbook, who's at First Trust. Basically, get out of the business from households and holdings into models and platforms, and then basically treat practice management and relationship management with as much importance as you did wealth management, because those two are proprietary, and those two you can control. You're not at the mercy of external dependencies, and the right client who's enlightened, who understands volatility, time horizons, wealth and risk management dynamics, They'll love that. And the client that's more about short-term returns, that's not an ideal client anyway. 
maybe it's not a good fit. Yeah, and as it pertains to, you know, you talk a lot about relationship management and that process and how important that is. And you have an acronym that you use, FORM. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that means and how to apply that? Because I, I remember a questionnaire, probably one of the, uh, again, early in my career, one of the best tools that I ever had. Of course, it was so good, now I can't find it. I literally, over the last five years, have gone back and dug through files looking for the questionnaire because when I w will talk to our younger advisors, I say, when I was your age, which, by the way, I hate saying that, I had this questionnaire that came from Pareto Systems, and it was your form questionnaire. And part of it asked folks, when it finally got down to the M, some ranges. How much do you have in these different things? And, and you could look and tell, again, after you've warmed them up, I guess, to kind of finally getting to the money, little bit of money questions, we had a client with 75 grand with us who checked off the, I've got a million dollars or more liquid net worth box. And I'm two years in the business. It's kind of like ding, 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 and had a bunch of those. But what is form and how do you apply that today in, in that relationship management process? Great question. Very simple theme. But again, never more important than right now. So let's let's break it down. And this is just sort of me thinking out loud here. But first of all, clients want to know that their advisor cares. I want the advisor to demonstrate he or she cares about what the client cares about specifically. It's meaningfully specific, very, very personalized. Number one. Number two, I want the advisor to professionalize and standardize everything they do. So they're not winging it. It's not just out of their heart because they're good people. I want them to master the art and science of being a financial advisor. So making the fact that you care an extension of the process. And by professionalizing and standardizing something, it can become scalable. It's not at the mercy of maverick talent and people. It's something that can be duplicated by others. Form is what I would call the glue that creates chemistry and trust. So if you think of the acronym FORM, it's family, occupation, recreation, and money. Money is a means to those ends. So all the client's aspirations, the things that mean something to them, that they care about, their family investment legacy and continuity and succession, health and wellness, college, all, all of it. Their occupational aspirations, right? The work optional lifestyle. I want to retire and not live my money. I want to have a liquidity event when I sell my business, you know, that type of thing. And then, of course, recreational goals. That's the bucket list. That's why financial independence matters. The premise is the more the advisor emphasizes the why, the more value the client places in how the advisor gets them there. And they start to decommoditize themselves and develop more professional contrast, chemistry, and trust. And that also leads to referability as well. So great question, but it's just a little nugget from our process. 
but the theme is professionalize and standardize everything. But it also comes back full circle to where we are right now when we started going through all of this and everybody came out of the woodwork and said, don't go out there and talk to clients just about the market. First ask, are their family, you know, are they and their family will? And following something like form and understanding the power of all of those things and really what, what, what's important and what gets them to what's important, right, which is the money, it's interesting that right now that has become much more of a focus, not just in financial advice, but for everybody. You know, all the commercials now are focused on those things. And I think that really my hope is, and I've said to our leadership team, I don't want us to come out of however long this lasts, the same company that we went in. And I think that that point that you made is illustrative of that in terms of it's always important, not just right now. It has been and will be forever. I'll tell you, and I'll validate that, because back in 08, a lot of noise, right? And there's a lot of anxiety. I would say to advisors, your highest level of referability right now, the way the advisor verbalizes their value helps the client internalize so that they can go out and socialize. And I'll give you an example. An advisor gets a massive introduction from a client during arguably the weirdest, most significant headwind this industry's ever seen. The first time that client made an introduction, it's done over the phone, and the client, now advocate, calls up the advisor and says, hey, you got to talk to my friend. I just got off the phone with him. He's totally freaked out. I explained your process. We had a really great form conversation. I told him I'd make an introduction. The client is mirroring that back on the advisor. So all of those years of dripping and communicating that positioning landed. It stuck. And then that client could socialize it to make an introduction, even in these bizarre times. So yeah, absolutely key. I know that one of the things that you've advocated is trying to take that intellectual property and package it, right? So that it's not something that people can get anywhere. And, and to your point, one of the most gratifying, so we were in the regional broker-dealer space, ended up, we're now in the independent broker-dealer space. And when we started our company, Signature Wealth, one of the things that we did was we decided to call our planning process the Signature Life planning process. We help you develop your signature life. And we would say it and we would say it and we would say it and nobody else did. Our team did. Yeah, our advisors did. But I can remember the first time I had a client refer back to their signature life plan. And it was like a big eureka moment of it's finally caught. And it's something that they can't get other places because it is proprietary. It is you know, we have 10 offices, so it is scalable. You can teach it, you can build it. And so I know that one of the things, kind of going back to, at least as far as I know, I think you mentioned, Chris, it's your most recent book, I think was back from late 2015. You guys wrote the advisor playbook. And again, it's interesting to me to look at how little 
some things have changed, right? The core things that are important to an advisor today are the same things that you wrote about then. Consistent client acquisition, impeccable client service, and restoring liberation to the advisor's life. When you look back at that, how much, maybe more important, is some of that right now than even when you wrote it? So I'm just going to jump on something you said there as a starter, and then I'll round it out. But I want everybody to understand the distinction between client service and a client experience. Client service is an intention. It says, I'm a good person. I care. It's often reactive, right? Something happens, you respond, good. A client experience is proprietary. I can only get it from you. It's well thought out in advance. It's very proactively driven. And it establishes professional contrast. So, so back to the advisor playbook, you're right. It's achieve consistent client acquisition, deploy an impeccable client experience, and restore liberation and order. So let's break that down. The first aspect of client acquisition is through conversion, converting clients to advocates. So most advisors we work with, they're fee-worthy and they're referable, but they don't get the quality and quantity of referrals they probably should, primarily because they're their own best-kept secret. They're low-key, they're understated, they don't use any of the nonsense, right? I get paid in three ways and who else do you know and none of that. So they get endorsed which means clients are singing their praises, but the endorsement's going to their friend's head to die. Doesn't make the phone ring. So part of the advisor playbook in our process is take a referable advisor, convert clients who endorse into advocates who introduce. And that's engineered. It's by design. There's a nurture-nature dynamic to that. And here's the thing. Based on everything we've talked about, it culminates with clients and advocates understanding and appreciating and trusting not just the people, but also the practice and the process. Okay, so if I'm your client, I trust you, Chip. You know your stuff. You're a good guy. You care. You work hard. You look out for me. You have integrity. You do no harm. You're a good person. You want me to appreciate your practice and your process as much as I trust you. So the client experience, it's all driven by best practices and standard operating procedures. Nobody's left to their own devices, especially in this virtual world that we temporarily find us within because the client experience is like a tether. Even though all your, all your team is at home right now, they're still tethered together because they're not left to their own devices winging it. The process, and I love, I mean, that's very gratifying to hear you talk about your signature life because the process is a brand within the brand of your practice. It's an extension. It's like the Intel inside sticker on the computer. I can only get it from you. And what's really powerful is I bet you you don't have clients saying to you, hey, Chip, I bought long-term care from somebody else. They probably call you and say, hey, Chip, is long-term care part of the process? So they're not buying things, cobbling things together. They're buying into one thing that you've developed and refined a process that puts every piece of the puzzle together, engages every service provider, so clients always have the complete picture. 
That is a thing. That's an intellectual property. It drives your enterprise value, and it makes you franchise ready as you already are because now you've got 10 locations. One to 10, that's hard. 10 to 50, less hard, right? If it's all process driven. For sure. It's interesting because I had a question about practice. So when you talk about the word, you know, people practice process, can you touch on practice specifically for me? Is that the operations manual? Is that how things operate, which is separate than the investment and planning processes? Yeah, so we've developed this placeholder. It's a framework. It's called Always On. It's where everything goes. And basically, it's saying that we don't make it up as we go. We run our business like a business. Now, let's connect something. Many financial advisors, their ideal client is a successful business owner, a professional, an executive, somebody who understands best practices, somebody who understands standard operating procedures and the rule of three. When a client understands that you just don't have good technical ability and a core competency, you're really deliberate about your client experience, you're activating immense contrast. And the key here is don't be your own best kept secret. I can't wait till I go back to a restaurant again because my favorite restaurants are an open kitchen. You can see everything, right? It's all right there. Nothing, I don't have to worry what's going on back there. They're so proud of it. It's right there in front of me. I want advisors to have the same mindset. They're an open book, fully transparent. This is our onboarding process. Okay, so if I'm meeting you for the first time, this is our on-site, our fit process. So we make no assumption there's an alignment of interest. Let's walk through the fit process to see if there's an alignment of interest. If there is a good fit, we're going to move to the onboarding process, transition you over, and fast-track you to advocacy. Once that dust is settled, we're going to shift from on-site to ongoing. That's our service model. That's our client experience. So, Chip, here's what you can expect in the next 12 months. You're a AAA client. We're going to touch you 34 times with our client experience, and this is what it looks like. And then there's onwards. That's the culture of your enterprise and how you respond to moments of truth and critical life events and milestones that happen in your client's life. That's all client-facing. That's what the practice is. And that's all proprietary in a playbook that you can put in the hands of somebody else and say, that's our way. That's the signature way right there. Just do it like that. Don't wing it. Don't make anything up. Follow that. And that's one of the scariest for me. My partner and I, my original partner and I go back 21 of my 22 years. We were a team when teams weren't cool. Our branch manager at the time thought it was insane that you would split anything with anybody. Now, he eventually wanted to be one of our partners, so that came full circle. But I had somebody ask me, because we have delineated, you know, I was responsible for planning, and he handled investments. His dad had been in the business for 30 years before I came in. But we've done such a good job with the planning process that I had somebody ask me the other day, well, what happens if something happens to Scott, my partner? And we have a process for the investment management part. He has a way that he does things. Our younger advisors, at least some of them, know what that is. 
but our clients don't know that our other folks know what it is. So I, I thought that that was just right on with what you're saying of taking that. And I had not thought about it because we do, we have 250 page manual with all the different toolkits of here's how you do all these things. And that's part of what we do in, we give to whether we open another office or somebody affiliates with us, that's one of the things that they get, but we've never shown it to our clients. And just in listening to you, I can see how the fact that, and I've said this to other people, where we want to standardize the routine so that we can personalize the rare, the important things that need to be personalized. But I can see now, as you said that, in sharing those things with clients, how that could give them a peace of mind. Because in my mind, it's always been the, there are other people. Oh, well, if Chip's not in the office, I can talk to Scott or Thomas or Tracy or Danielle. I've always thought that they would take comfort in the people, which I'm sure that they do. But as you've said that, the light came on for me that if I also showed them, hey, just so you know, we have a way. I don't have to get into how the sausage is made of every step, but just saying to them, hey, just want you to know we've got these 42 processes. And I'll show you how to do that. And this is very cool. So in your next wave of call rotations with your client, so get every messenger to adopt this message. So in your next wave of call rotations with your clients throughout the summer, just simply say, we're so excited because the real silver lining has been born out of this. It's given us all an opportunity to go a little deeper and refine and optimize our client experience. And here's what we've realized. We've got some great clients. They're just a joy to work with. But they're not aware of everything we do. We're kind of our own best kept secret here. They really like us and trust us as people. But they don't have the complete picture around our practice and around our process. So in the future, when we come out of this, I can't wait to show you what we've done and ensure we're not our own best kept secret, but you have the complete picture and then connect it and say, and here's what's great about having the people, the practice, and the process is that many of our clients are starting to really give some thought to issues around continuity, secession, and family investment legacy. And who better to have that conversation than a team that has achieved that itself in real time? We're not just at the mercy of good people. We can add people to our practice. They can adopt our client experience. They can deploy our process, and it's extremely powerful. So you see what I'm doing there is the unveiling, it's a bit of future pacing. And then what I'd like you to do, Chip, get everybody on your bench to not go more than three minutes in a conversation with anybody without referring to the process. Planning, advice, service, solutions, I can get that anywhere. They're all part of your process. That's the next step in the process. Let's stick to the process. We've got a process in place. Oh, yeah, we'll engage your CPA and your attorney into the process. Like just imprint, imprint, imprint process. It's like a handle to grab onto. I want them to have as much appreciation for that as they do for the client experience and the practice and, of course, your people. 
I can only speak for the experience that I've had over the last couple of months because we've been in a 10 year bull market. And so talking to people about the importance of a plan when the market goes straight up, one of the things that I adopted, and I'm sure you've seen it, is that emotional roller coaster slide. I probably have shown that in every meeting for the last, whether it's a seminar or a webinar or a client strategy meeting or, or whatever. And I've said, we're always on this roller coaster. I just want you to know, eventually, right now we feel really good, but I want you to know we're going to have this same conversation when things are really bad. I just want to remind you of that right now. And being able to refer to the process, your signature life plan and your confidence number and those things in this moment and say, you remember we planned for this. You remember we looked at this. And being able to have kind of some common language that folks have heard enough. I thought the term you used was great. Putting a handle on it. They can take it with them is a big deal. So you said earlier, Duncan, that you feel like advisors are their most referable right now. I want to ask one question before I, it, the process, that, that explanation that you gave, the conversation for the next set of phone calls, that also seems to me like something that might be good to use in video, whether that becomes part of the onboarding process later or something else. Because let's be honest, I mean, some people tell the story better than others. Taking a good storyteller and having them tell that story on video seems like something that you could work into the process somewhere, whether that's part of the right fit or beginning really early and using video and visuals to have some of that conversation. It seems to me like that could be effective there. Well, to your point, many of our advisors are becoming masters at video and Zoom and Skype and the virtual client experience. They're doing strategy and tactical meetings online. Clients are loving it. They're saying, hey, when we get back to normal, can we keep doing these? You know, it's very, very powerful, especially, again, when it's process-driven. I do want to make one comment because you said about the financial plan. I spent a lot of time making sure our advisors understand the distinction between a financial plan and financial planning. So a financial plan is a commoditized transactional event. It's very important. The blueprint is critical. Gives everybody a state of the nation. Here's where we are. Here's where we're going. It's great. I can get that anywhere. Financial planning is fluid and dynamic. It's process-driven. It takes into consideration critical life events, moments of truth, and milestones that occur in your life. And you're right. That roller coaster, you know my analogy, I've been talking about for 25 years. It's not the wind, it's the set of the sail. The wind I cannot control. I pay attention to it. I'm looking at the weather forecast. I'm making decisions and preparations. But at the end of the day, what I can control, the adjustments I make, are to the set of the sail. But it does not change our trajectory and where we want to end up. So I see past all that. We make the adjustments, the mid-course corrections, but I still know where we're going. We never lose sight of that. That's the distinction between a financial plan and financial planning. It's the difference between a noun and a verb, right? That's the way we normally explain it. A financial plan is a book that you get, and it's a thing that you had one time that somebody told you about as collecting dust somewhere. You know, plan can be a verb, and it's to actively, wholeheartedly agree. You mentioned 
that now is a time when advisors have the potential to be their most referable, to really find that silver lining, to really make the most of what can be, I think, probably the greatest opportunity that we've had. What are your thoughts on the opportunity kind of as it is now and how advisors can, I feel really weird saying the word capitalize, but be of the most service right now in a way that positions them well for the future? Yeah, good distinction there. And again, we saw this in 08, right? That advisors that adapted were at their highest level of referability. A, because money was so topical. B, because the degree of doubt friends of clients had for their current advisor, I mean, the trust had been shattered. And to compare and contrast, I mean, many of our advisors, their clients didn't feel freaked out. They felt calm. And to talk to a friend who was freaked out, they're like, you know, I don't feel that way. So maybe you should talk to my advisor. But here's the distinction in the mindset. An advocate doesn't introduce someone to you because they're trying to help you grow your business. They feel they're doing their friend a disservice if they don't make the introduction. So in the spirit of that open kitchen, we want our advisors to talk openly about the concept of advocacy and say, look, our ideal client's a AAA client. It doesn't even feel like work, okay? Their assets align with our expertise. Their attitudinal compatibility is perfect. We only accept new clients to introduce to us because our clients feel they're doing their friend a disservice if they don't. They don't need to become a client of ours to talk to us. We'll be a sounding board. If we want to move forward, if we all feel it's a good fit, then we'll have that conversation. But there's no expectation that needs to happen. But there's a reason why. We only accept new clients are introduced because our clients are actually advocates. They're so bought into our process, they really appreciate our practice, and they trust our people. Basically, it's almost like I'm talking to you the way I would ask you to talk to a client, just open kitchen. Here's who we are. If an advisor will do that, like look at the summer and say, okay, I've got 90 days to refine and optimize my business. As I head to the turn at Labor Day, come out of this, let's assume, okay, America's batting 1,000. I'm betting on America. I'm betting on capitalism. I believe we're going to power through this. There's a form of normality after Labor Day. You're rolling. You prime that pump. Q4, rocking. 2021, your best year ever. You can compress your five-year plan to 24 months if you'll just make those little adjustments. I think that's ideal. That's been one of the things that our COO and I talked about yesterday was a 100-day plan. You know, when the president comes into the White House, you know, most of their teams have built what the first 100 days are going to look like. And we talked about that yesterday of we need to create our 100-day plan because eventually this period of disbursement is going to end. We have a lot of things, and I've already taken a lot from this conversation that I think played directly into that. But I do think that using this as, and I've seen you use, and I thought it was just a great analogy, the coiled spring, to use this as the opportunity when things change to not come out of this the same person that you went in, the same business practice that you went in, and to really use this as a time to load up, as you say, coming into the turn, peaking at the right time. That's self-fulfilling. That's a choice, in my view. 
And remember when we went into this, you know, talking about the three types of advisors? Make things happen, watch things happen, wonder what the heck is happening, okay? Make the choice to make things happen. Use this as a gift. Find the silver linings. Work on your business. Work on yourself personally and professionally and share it with your clients. Just tell your clients, you know, we're so excited. We're all tethered together. We're working virtually, but we've been really going deep on making some adjustments, getting clear in our gaps. We can't wait to show you. Well, and hopefully, right, they've seen some of them. We've changed as we go. My wife spent 12 years in the news business. She was an anchor in the news, and she talked about a kind of ad, and maybe we've all seen them, that the news channels run of all of the different reporters in the hurricane gear, you know, Jim Cantori, and reminding the viewer, we were here during this with you. And that was an image that she shared with me that stuck with me to be able to look back even a month from now and say, here are some of the things that we've already added even that you've already seen that you may not have known that we were doing on purpose, that we were building this into the process for going forward. So Duncan, some folks, 10-year bull market, there are advisors out there, you've seen the statistics just like I have of how many people are going to retire when I'm a big believer that you don't retire from something that you're enjoying if you've built it in a way that I know that you would recommend and you've got everything structured right. But there are some people who are at a point where maybe this is the last time they want to go through a time like this. What would be your advice to somebody who's, I don't know, five to seven years from retirement? They're not sure whether or not that's long enough to train and do some of these things. What's your advice to somebody who was considering when they might retire in the next five years or so? What you would recommend to them changed as a result of this? Or what would you tell them now? So first of all, back to the coiled spring, remember your purpose, right? Your calling. And you're right. I mean, our advisors, they want to work optional lifestyle. They don't want to retire. They want to go to work because they want to. And most of them do. Stick to the plan. Trust the process. I want you to look at your current enterprise as a proof of concept organically, where you've refined and optimized this to such an extent that if you want to exit in the next 12 months, your enterprise's value has gone up well beyond recurring revenues, trailing 12s, and all that other baseline stuff. There are a lot of advisors who dodged a DOL bullet a few years ago and had a nice little run. And now you're right. They're saying, okay, now I'm done. Dig your well before you're thirsty, right? Classic Confucius, work on your business so you can hand something to somebody else and they'll elevate the client experience. Your legacy is intact. You want to be in the business for another five to 10? Do that as well but with the intention to go franchise ready. Put your playbook in the hands of somebody else. All these advisors out there that are wondering if they're even viable in the future, let them come and draft in behind you, right? Just like a race car, drafting in behind and conserving energy. For the advisors who are gonna get out sooner, they can sell their business to you, feeling great, and I'll tell you something, we had a client in Dallas that just bought a business in January, onboarded and transitioned all the clients virtually 
during all this nonsense. Clients are delighted, and he's finding a vein of gold in there of untapped opportunity because he's process driven. So I don't want to oversimplify. I encourage all of your community to join me on LinkedIn because, as you know, we share all of this on LinkedIn. We got all kinds of resources there. But I'm excited. I'm really excited about what it looks like when we come out of this. Well, me too. And I would just say if there's somebody within a couple of years who would like to draft in behind, we've been following. Duncan's advice for 10 years. And so a 250-page playbook and, and all the processes and, and all of those things, I'd love for you to reach out to me and just let me know because I do think, and I've seen that, when we originally started Duncan, our concept was we were in our early to mid-40s and that advisors in their 60s who might want to retire but didn't want to train up new people and do those kinds of things, because it's a lot of work, especially if you're later in your career and it's not a passion for you. And there were a lot of 20-somethings who wanted to be in the business or who were struggling and the 65-year-old didn't want to sell their practice to the 25-year-old, but they would sell their practice to some 45-year-olds who were teaching and working with and training and had a process for 25-year-olds. And it has been by taking what we had built locally and being able to say here, and I've heard you say, add water, right? Here, just do this. You know, it has been an opportunity for us and for the advisors who have drafted in, to use your term, to be able to speed up, press the easy button, if you will, a couple of years beforehand, and to know just like the clients do, exactly the biggest question that I get from an advisor considering retirement, their biggest concern is how are my clients can be treated? I love these people like family. They've been with me for 30 years. How do I know? And the first thing that advisor should say is, let me just remind you about how good our people are, the quality of our practice and the client experience it creates, and the process that we've developed and refined that puts all the pieces of the puzzle together. They're going to be in very good hands. And they believe it. They do. We're an action-oriented podcast. And so what's one thing that, you think that an advisor can do today to take some action from what we've talked about? I'm sure they're already proactively stirring the pot and calling their clients on a consistent, scheduled manner. I would like them to be very deliberate about the messaging that they choose and lead with purpose. You know, when a client says, how are you doing? I want you to say to them, you know what, this is why I became a financial advisor. This 10-year run that we had, I mean, I love what I do, but right here, right now, this is why I do what I do. Like, just really make sure that they feel your conviction of the messenger, not just your technical ability and your credentials. Because, you know, a client, they don't need to know everything you know. They just need to know that you know and that you have a sense of purpose. You're focusing on the best version of yourself. I know it's easy to get sucked in to the negative and to the anxiety, but be the fountain, not the drain. And that's intentional. That's deliberate. Absolutely. Well, Duncan, listen, I really appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you for years of service to the community. Where can people find you? LinkedIn and anywhere else? Well, we have an app called Pareto Systems, always on. They can put on their phone, have Pareto in their pocket. Uh, Our website, ParetoSystems.com, of course. 
And then on LinkedIn, just Duncan McPherson. And we share a lot, as you know, there. For sure. Well, Duncan, thank you for our listeners. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back at you again in a couple of weeks, and we'll see you real soon. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks, man. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.